0: Here I am, up in the heavens, and I just got a message from Heavenly Father, that President Nukdorf, is in the middle of flying an airplane. So we're going to go down
1: and help him. What what am I hearing? What am I hearing?
0: Boyd Packer, is that you? It's me, President Boyd K. Packer.
1: You're visiting me while I'm flying in the sky with the airplane?
0: Yeah, Moroni and Alma were busy, so Heavenly Father sent me...
1: I'm having an out-of-body experience. I can fly anywhere I want. It's like I have angelic powers. It's amazing.
0: Dieter, this is where the Tower of Babel reached to. This is as high as it got before Heavenly Father... I can see
1: why the peoples were very... Why why God would be very upset because that's a long way to look. Oh... Boyd K. Packer, you will not believe what has happened since you were gone. Oh my I want to bring me. you down. All right. Tell me, uh, is masturbation still wrong? Uh, we stopped asking about that. Boyd, wow. you was the only one that was like trying to get the people to know about that thing. That was it really was my, creepy.
0: It was my gospel hobby.
1: It was very creepy, and I'm so glad we don't ask about it anymore. Now, do you know what, what this is?
0: I, I don't. I've been too busy helping Heavenly Father. Right, I'm side.
1: going to increase the revelation resolution. <laughs> oh, ah. Oh. It's the images are downloading the heavenly images. All right. Do you know wow. what this is?
0: There's a human being right there.
1: Yeah, he's wearing a beard just like the Bible used to, but we don't allow it anymore.
0: No, David O. McKay put an end to that. And That's so right. I've been shaving every day since. Does
1: your hair go in in the afterworld?
0: You never lose a hair off your head. Heavenly Father puts everything back just the way it was.
1: So after you after you shave the hair goes right back? Yeah. It's amazing. You're... I'm going to be I'm going to look this call me the silver fox now. you wait to see what they call me then. All right. Now look at this. This is the Enzen Peak Monument. Now do you yeah. know what we have done with Enzen Peak since this time?
0: Yeah, we've named a church periodical after it.
1: Uh, Yeah, we did this. Yes, but we also created a a huge investment portfolio. Wow. Uh, Fly fly with me here,
0: dude. Yes,
1: we are going to the seat of power in Utah. Yes, the place where all of the rules get made, all of the laws get made. Here it is. Yeah, that's right. Now, let's go up. So, oh, we are going to go and land on the roof. Yeah, that is good. Now, so this is where we go to survey our domain. We look out over the entire world and we want to possess the whole of it.
0: Yeah, we put every little penny away so that someday when Jesus comes back, we can have the biggest party ever.
1: You guys did such a good job preparing all the funds. I mean, look at this temple now. We're going to go and fly onto the temple. Yeah, this is good. Sometimes I come up here and I I walk out on the roof of the temple and I look around and I think, gosh, you know, how could I how how what how in the world could I get involved in something like this? I was just a poor child in Germany, Well, now I fly all around the world and people slobber all over me and I have to start telling the ladies to back off because they all think I'm the silver fox. It's crazy. Did you ever you know you know have how, that problem, Dieter?
0: No, you know how the ladies feel about you. Well they they don't quite feel the same way about me. I'm just not a sexy Dieter.
1: How is that possible? You have such a sexy voice?
0: Yeah, sounds like I smoked a pack a day for 42 years.
1: I don't, I don't understand you It's know,
0: because I, I expressed my life-giving substance
1: too much. Probably you know I, I, there's not too much time for that on the, on the on the airplanes. All right now this is where the real seat of power is. This is where it's like the protective shield of the church. you know anything wrong goes. And these these guys really protected. So you've got the protective shield. You've got where the power is actually made. And then over here is the puppet theater. Yeah, that is good. Thank you so much for giving me a tour, Uh, 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 Boy K. Packer. I hope that I've enlightened you with what we have done, with the legacy that you you left for us. And then maybe sometime in the future, we will come again.
0: You're welcome. I'm going to go back to Heavenly Father.
1: So good to see you. Come, Colab. Come.
2: was that was a little crazy I I didn't know we were gonna have a visit from uh, Dieter and president Packer from the life beyond that must be evidence then that's got to be evidence John that, that uh that the afterlife is real did you the, have the same vision I did uh yeah I don't know what was what that all was about but uh I'm I now have a testimony that there is an afterlife
3: so do I I I hope that this hair grows back all right anyway All right, Bill. How are things going?
2: Uh, Life is really good. Um, Nothing super new and exciting, but everything's going along well. I just got done reading a really good book, um, uh, Civilized to Death. Uh, Really Hmm. fantastic book, a lot like uh, Sapiens with Yuval Harari.
3: I I tend to avoid reading in-depth books because then that puts other people's ideas in my mind, and I only want my own ideas in my mind.
2: Yeah, you should try to stick with that. It makes you a lot more comfortable if you can just hold on to your ideas and the ideas that your authorities gave you.
1: Yeah, well,
3: okay. So there was some big news, though, in this week in Mormonism, specifically a little something that uh, is a, a, a bit like ecclesiastical whiplash. Um. Because despite the celebrations over the church seeming to modify its policy regarding LGBT people, particularly on the campus of BYU, uh, we are now back in the shadow of the church's prior stance. And while we all may be saying that this is a flip-flop, I think from the perspective of the church and the people like savebyu. Calm. Uh it's not a flip-flop. We're just we were too eager to embrace iniquity.
2: I uh I think I saw this coming last week, didn't I? When you and I talked, didn't I say like this wasn't gonna end well? And uh <laughs> it it hasn't ended well. These guys we th- their words are we we consider all the permutations. We you know we are apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, we consider all the permutations, we take these matters seriously. Who's on the board of BYU, by the way, uh, John? Uh,
3: I don't know the answer to that. That was actually Uh, one of the questions that came up because whoever was on the board probably affected this.
2: Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, two apostles and then several members of the seventy serve on the BYU board. At least they always did in the past unless they've decided to, with all the trouble that the BYU gets into with its police department, maybe pull back from that. But I don't think so.
3: Well, you know that that would give them a measure of plausible deniability. But uh, so this is it. This is the letter, um, March fourth, 2020, to the students and faculty of the Church Educational System. Uh, recently, the language of the principal based Church Educational System uh, honor code was updated. Those adjustments included significant doctrinal and behavioral matters. That have led to much discussion and some misinterpretation out of respect for all concerned, all concerned. uh, We are providing the following clarifying statement. It's interesting that, you know, it's so common for people who are the abusers in an abusive relationship to couch their abuse in terms like love and respect. You know, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I respect you. So this is their clarifying statement. One change to the honor code language that has raised questions was the removal of a section on homosexual behavior. The moral standard of the church did not change with the recent release of the general handbook or the updated honor code. Because the moral standard of the church never changes. There is and always has been more to living the Lord's standard of a chaste and virtuous life than refraining from sexual relations outside of marriage, which is interesting because the way the policy was framed was not talking about sexual relations, it was talking about romantic relations that fell short of violations of the law of chastity. Yeah, this uh, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, does it? No. Uh, let's see. Lasting joy comes when we live the spirit as well as the letter of God's laws. I love it when totalistic, high-demand groups start capturing joy and capturing truth. You know, you can't have lasting joy unless you're following our dogma. You don't have real truth unless you're adopting our perspective. You look like you're happy, Jonathan. I'm having the time of my life, so um, yeah. <laughs> we can have a discussion about that because... I get a little bit annoyed when I see ex-Mormons talk about, oh, it's great, I'm having a great time, because the reality is life has ups and downs. It does. And I don't want to have the, the you know, I understand the pressures on it, but I don't want to have the pressure of, you know, always having to appear happy because I'm ex-Mormon. You know, sometimes life really sucks. Yeah, my point being those Mormonism
2: doesn't affect you for being more happy. Exactly. Are you more happy when you, are you more happy Because of Mormonism than without Mormonism.
3: I think that there is so much in terms of toxic perfectionism that goes along with the gospel. That alone, once you let go of the ridiculous proprietary and arbitrary standards of behavior and thought that are part of the church that constantly make you feel inadequate and somehow out just for being human, then Mm -hmm. that alone elevates your perspective, because you don't walk around thinking that you're this total, you know, bum. But Yeah, no more that's a, weight that's on your shoulders. Good, exactly, that's a great subject for uh, a deeper discussion, but we're going to continue this letter here. A foundational doctrine of the restored gospel <laughs> of Jesus Christ is that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God. Now, it used to be marriage between a man, a woman, and a woman, and maybe another man. And perhaps another woman and a child, but that's that's Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and all the the polygamy. this,
2: this whole anyway. thing, John. Okay. The, yeah, this whole this whole thing where they say like a man and a woman, it, it doesn't do your own history justice. Like you're you're essentially discrediting all the marriages that have occurred in the past with divine sanction and Mormonism.
3: Well, yeah, I mean that stuff's down the memory hole. That doesn't exist anymore, you know. Just like Hinckley said, you know,
1: we have nothing to do with that doctrine. It's in the past. It's a little fleck of history.
3: I <laughs> can't really so that like... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a marriage between a man and woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. Quoting the family, a proclamation to the world. Church leaders have long taught these principles. You know, since 1903. Uh and after we isu- yeah, after we after we issued the second proclamation telling the world and our members, now we mean it. Now there's no polygamy. Uh you know. Yeah, and then people, of course, it's blasé to point out that two of our apostles and prophets now are eternal polygamists because they have been sealed to multiple women after the death of their first wife. So that is an example of a man, a woman, and a woman. I mean, back in the days of polygamy, you know, you were just one spouse's death away from same-sex marriage, you know, if, if a guy married two women and then he died, I guess I don't know. I guess because the woman is given to the man, but the man is not given to the woman in the way that the verbiage of that marriage is is made. So I guess those women would be separate, not married together. I don't know. Yeah. No. No. They're just property. Yeah. Same. Okay. This is the this is the key quote. All right. And this is where when we get to the Q and A with the honor code person, this this just comes. It becomes a huge mess. Same sex romantic behavior cannot lead to eternal marriage and is therefore not compatible with the principles included in the honor code. We are grateful for the commitment that all students and employees have in the church edu- in the church educational system make to live the principles and spirit of the honor code. So this this whole idea is like you've got to live the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. That ju- that that mentality is intentionally vague. Because then it allows the brethren at any point in time to either deny or affirm some particular question because they want to make the point. And it can vary based on the audience. It's kind of like this whole, do you pay tithing on gross or net? Well, if we're talking to the public, we're going to say, you know, we're not expecting people to pay tithe. It's not a, you know, it's voluntary. And they can pay what they want. But then when you talk about life in the church, when you're talking to your local immediate priesthood leader, it's like, well, do you want gross blessings or do you want net blessings?
2: Um, This whole thing about a case-by-case basis seems to be gone now too, right?
3: Yeah. And I think that's where, um, you know, just going from the... Do you have any thoughts on the letter just before we get to the Q&A? Because I think the Q&A is even more revealing. Um, Just
2: that... Just
3: maybe just to go back in time and say, like, why did these changes occur originally?
2: Why did they remove the wording? Why did they change the wording? And, and I think it becomes apparent that the church on some front has to start softening its rhetoric. Um, and it, I think on some level it was trying to create a space of silence, right, so that the church could eventually make whatever changes it needed to and have that cushion of we haven't talked about it for a while. And unfortunately, they did not consider all the permutations of this. And here we are now having to – we changed the wording – we don't consider the permutations. We've got all the space now for gay dating on BYU's campus, and now they realize, oh my goodness, everybody else told us now what the permutations are of this, and now we have to backtrack. And now they've got caught with their foot in their mouth, lying about uh, a case by case basis, and the honor code office telling these kids that they could date.
3: Yeah, and, and not only that, but so many things happened in the you know in as people were coming to accept and deal with the initial policy change things were said by the honor code office which were very revealing in light of the reversal and i think in our conversations over the last couple of days you mentioned that this really smells of there being some sort of power struggle within the authorities that have some domain here and yeah. i mean particularly when you think about the, the the responses that the honor code was giving when people first they're like are you sure let's go talk and ask the honor code office and there were a number of things that are more procedural in how their policy is, regardless of this whole um, issue about the LGBTQ thing. It's you know, if do you still want us to report people that we observe in engaging in this romantic behavior? We're not even talking about law of chastity. We're just talking about the romantic behavior. And their position, emphatically, repeatedly to students and to faculty alike, was no, we are not accepting reports from anyone on this. Yeah and m- even more i think when you talk about the effect that it's going to have in terms of the mindset the paranoia the feeling like you're being watched like you're you're really got the vice on your behavior you know this idea that you're not no longer living in a, a environment where people are going to report you because that just knowing that your peers can report you if they perceive that you're doing something wrong creates an environment of suspicion, of mistrust. You know, not only if you're doing something that you know might be reportable, but even if you're one of these self-righteous pricks that, you know, believes because you have certain last name that it's your job to police everybody, that it changes just those dynamics. You know, we even had a video a little bit ago of the church talking about porn and masturbation and, and using the metaphor of... A uh, soldier on the battlefield who needs your help, but the the subtext there was that if you see one of your peers doing these things, or if you know you're using their their they hand you their phone so you can look something up and you find out that there's a a URL that you have, well it's your obligation out of love to report that person. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, the
2: thing I would add to this is the the honor code office when it said yeah uh, dating's allowed and just not sex. They didn't just wing that. They didn't just come up with those answers. Somebody exactly. higher up, somebody higher up, said like, "This is the direction we're going. This is why we've made the changes. Here's here's how we're going to answer these questions." When they say that we're going to uh, not, we don't want you reporting people. We don't. And, and in fact, when somebody is um, in an unhealthy way uh, marginalizing you or adding shame mm-hmm. to you, like you get to report them. Mm-hmm. That also came from higher up. Somebody gave them some speech of training in a one-hour meeting somewhere and said, this is the changes. Here's why. Here's how we're going to handle it. These people aren't winging these answers. So yeah, now they're you not realize, idiots. Yeah, so like you say, now we have leadership of the church in on the board of BYU. These changes come about. The the, the minimum wage workers in the office, the secretaries, the other, whoever else there is, these folks were giving answers. They were taught. They were told, and they were shown and now everybody has to pull back and pretend like none of that really happened.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, they were just repeating the uh empathetic and loving folklore. They were speaking as men, not as representatives of the of the honor code office. Yeah.
2: So as you point out, somebody, two people in those top 15 are at complete disagreement here.
3: Yeah. So let's take a look at this Q&A because this is pretty revealing. You know, they it, and I think They had to release something like this Q and A because so many, you know, informal Q and As had already been released of people saying, "Hey, I I spoke with somebody at the Honor Code office." And what I wish that people had done is like put their phone on record and then spoke to someone at the Honor Code office so that we could actually hear somebody in the Honor Code office actually saying these things. But so we've got Q and A with the Honor Code office, and of course they're. I'm going to have to kind of shrink. Notice there that
2: make a report. You can right there. You just click it right to the top
3: there. Wait, hold on. Go (laughs) all the way up.
2: Go back to where you were. Okay, hold up. Control plus,
1: plus.
3: Okay, hold on. Where'd it go? Okay, go down
2: a little bit. Uh, Make a report. You're kidding me. Make a report make a report on our code office you can you can right now everyone can click that link and send a report to the honor code office about a student who is kissing another student of the same gender you can do that what a shame like this is it is this is like uh uh there was lots of this in Germany at a certain time, I well, remember, right?
3: <laughs> any, if you go, if you go to any totalitarian regime, whether you're talking about Maoist China, whether you're talking about Germany and the Nazi regime, even to North Korea today, yeah, witnesses, like, yeah, Any anything where they have to control the thoughts and behaviors of individuals, uh, there's gonna be a reporting mechanism because that's the whole point, you know, you control people by holding people accountable.
0: Yeah.
3: we used to do this early
2: in the church's history, by the way, we used to, we used to in the, I think, I don't know if it was you, me talking or who, but somebody said the old handbooks Ah. used to have a section for leaders to, if there was a report to be made to inform members, they could make a report about other members.
3: Yeah, actually, you know, I'm going to see if I can pull that up because, uh. Oh, actually, you know, I think I put it on my Facebook page at one point. I'll, I'll look that up in the meantime. But, uh, okay, so let's take a look. So Kevin Ut answers questions about BYU's updated honor code. Okay. We encourage all members of our community to review the letters sent to them from Elder Paul V. Johnson. Now, who's this Paul V. Johnson guy? Uh, I have no idea. So he's, he's A70, so he carries that ecclesiastical authority, but he's also the head of the church educational system. Um, he was the guy who made the announcement that the LDS Business College and everything was going to be called now Ensign Peak or whatever. <laughs> Another bad move. Yeah.
2: <laughs> we just got well, caught with our pants down in a hundred and something billion dollars in a fund called Enzyme Peak. Let's name our college after it.
3: <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> well, I think what they're doing is they're doing a little thing called lamp shading where you just like make it so common that it, it almost drowns any controversial aspect out okay so let's see I'll go to I want to look at photos actually uh photos so let's keep going all right so we, we actually have a clip from Paul V Johnson that we'll get to later which is revealing all right so commissioner of the CES March 4th 2020 in the Q a below Kevin uh, director of BYU's honor code office shares responses to questions about the letter. And the honor code processes. They've been in, Kevin and the university have been in communication with CES Commissioner's Office regarding the application of the principles in the updated honor code. Those who have specific questions beyond what's covered here are encouraged to visit the honor code. All right. So. Why was the prescriptive homosexual behavior language removed from the honor code? Well, what do you think? Before we see his answer, Bill, what do you, what is your guess on that one? Um, I think the church, whenever it makes a drastic change in theology,
2: has to have a time period of silence. And you recently saw LDS.org, or of course it's Church of Jesus Christ now.org. .org, um, you saw them say in certain places, like, we no longer want to talk about homosexuality in church. Like, let... If people show up, they don't show up like we'll deal with it from a uh, what they can do and what they can't do perspective behind the scenes. But we're no longer going to talk about it. And here you see the same kind of thing happen at BYU. I think they want to create a decade, two decades of silence before they're before they make the change that they're essentially being forced to make, which is to allow homosexuality as part of the church.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, and I think I bet that's not his answer. I wouldn't think so. I think you know, of course, it's going to have something to do with how the church is able to defend itself from the accusations that will inevitably come about—hatred, uh, bigotry being institutional—and what that will actually mean. So, um, when it comes to you know a college being accredited or receiving any form of benefit or participation in in some secular organization that has standards for behavior of hatred and bigotry. I feel like right. we've seen this movie play out before. Yeah, you know, in 1978, maybe? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, his answer was, the honor code was changed to create a single standard for all CES institutions that is consistent with the recently released general handbook of the church. Okay, so... Um, it still doesn't saying, tell you why, does it? Yeah, If if they're saying that the principle and the spirit is exactly the same as before, then what was the point of changing the language? It's just so they can have plausible deniability when they need it, but then when people get turned in or whatever, then they can apply, you know, well, you weren't living the spirit of the law. Uh, How do you expect members of the campus community to respond to the events of the last two weeks? What do you think, Bill? Um,
2: What can we expect of campus members? I think you can expect them to be deeply frustrated, to feel like they're being pulled back and forth. I think you can expect them to be deeply afraid now that they've put themselves out there thinking it was one thing and it's now another. Um, I think you've caused panic. I think you've caused fear-mongering. I think you've caused uh, trauma. I think you can expect people to respond and react having felt those things.
3: Absolutely. Um. You know, I think you could expect people to see the leadership as not knowing their left hand from their right, as being completely out of touch with, it kind of like when, when you look at the letters of Larry Nelson and Stuart Udall, and you read what these, you know, heretics were preaching to the Brethren about how these ideas of curses and, and all this other crap that went along with the priesthood ban was utter rubbish and was inconsistent with the gospel of Christ. And so you see that, and you're like, how can these brethren be so blind to the truth in front of them? Well, this is happening on the campus of BYU now. You know, the degree to which there were celebrations about the change in the past is the degree to which the students themselves, whether they're LGBT or not, understand the right position, the moral, the ethical, the empathetic, the loving, the Christian position on this issue. And the brethren are just completely out of out of whack on that. Now that's not to say that it was universal, because certainly you had movements like uh, SaveBYU.com, which were trying to affect the change that ultimately came, and we'll take a look at their website in a little bit. But all right, so his response was, "Well, we realize that emotions over the last po- two weeks cover the spectrum, and that some have and will continue to feel isolation and pain." So. They're not idiots. They know that their policies cause isolation and pain. Good. That means that they can be held accountable for that knowledge. We encourage all members of our campus community to reach out to those who are personally affected with sensitivity, love, and respect. Well, guess what, Sherlock? That's what people were doing, given that they were free to do that. You know, if you had a friend who you knew was gay and was hiding it, and that policy change came out, and suddenly they felt like they could breathe the fresh air on the quad of the campus and walk around with the, the, their friend, previously friend, the, their romantic interest. And you were able to celebrate that and be open in your love and embrace your friend who was gay. Well, now you can't do that, according to the spirit of the law
2: yeah and so now you're put back into the position of having to treat your friend as if they are uh, something bad or wrong and and now you have to go back to either choosing your loyalty to byu and its honor code or supporting your friend who's now made themselves known and put themselves out there at great risk now that they flip-flopped
3: yeah and so now everyone who knows about that particularly the um you know the save byu type people the desnat, alt-right, hyper-conservative people, you know, they now know who has a target on their head. Yeah. All right, can members of our campus community who identify as LGBTQ or same-sex attracted be disciplined for going on a date, holding hands and kissing? And this is where the weasel language really starts. So uh, what is your guess, Bill? Um, my guess is we
2: now realize all the permutations every single time that we have two guys or two girls doing anything that looks romantic. We will now be processing those maker report links, uh, as they're filled out, we will be processing those, uh, each and every time. And it will be the case by case, basis is completely forgotten.
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we know in no uncertain terms what the standards are. And even if it doesn't exactly violate the standards, we know what the uh, spirit is. Um, And so, you know, take that. So what does he say there? Elder Johnson in his letter counsels, so again, this is now Kevin uh, totally abrogating responsibility. He's saying, well, they said, said same-sex romantic behavior cannot lead to eternal marriage and is therefore not compatible with the principles included in the honor code. So... Therefore, any same-sex romantic behavior is a violation of the principles of the honor code. Now, what, you know, so if you just look at that sentence and deconstruct it from a logical point of view, it's saying item A cannot lead to eternal marriage, therefore not compatible with the principles. So things that cannot lead to eternal marriage are not compatible with the principles in the honor code. Yeah, it feels
2: like one of those things in high school when you took a test and it said, you know, all all chihuahuas are dogs, Uh, all dog, you know, anyway. And then at the end, you get something
3: thrown in that doesn't add up. Yeah. Okay, so. So now the honor code is acknowledging they're not the ones making these decisions. It's What's the really... theology
2: there, by the way? Are they asking? Are they asking? Are, are they? I shouldn't say asking. Are they stating that because this relationship cannot produce children, which, he cre- which creates an eternal family, that it's not uh, it's not kosher, or are they saying because a two men can't be sealed into the temple as a couple? It's not eternal. Like they're not. They don't want to clarify because they don't want to give you any ground to be able to debate any of this. Um, it's all fluffiness until you get into the specifics. Um, yeah, Bill,
3: Bill, you're you're an apostate who is trying to put problems where there are not problems. It's very simple. Okay, eternal marriage can produce eternal offspring, and that requires the genitalia, which are not there in the TK smoothie scenario, but are there in the celestial scenario. And so that is what is necessary in order for for progeny to be produced, and so the same-sex couplings don't work. Now, we are going to completely ignore the last sermons that Joseph Smith gave, the Sermon in the Grove and the King Follett Sermon. We're going to ignore the fact that he said that all of our spirits were co-eternal with God, and that they existed before God, or, you know, before this notion before this existence that we have now, that we are all coexistent with God. He didn't create our intelligence, our spirit. We're gonna ignore all that because that's space doctrine. even though it came from Joseph at the height of his prophetic role, we're gonna ignore that because this principle here this is just it's just it's ridiculous. Theology and Mormonism is a big mess. Really quick though, my my, my wife here puts up a good question in the comments.
2: Um, she says, was this somehow word conspiracy from the church, uh, to have the LGBT community called out? And see, I I thought about this, by the way, this would have been if they were smart, and I don't think this is the reason, but if they were smart, you change the wording, all of your LGBT members feel safe. They come out and announce themselves. Now, you know who they all are. Um, you know who the supporters are. Because they're out on the protests, holding up signs, you have you essentially have now access to know who every ally and LGBT member is on the campus who felt safe and who put themselves out there, um, and now these people are at risk. Yeah.
3: Uh, I don't know. You know, I tend to be a little more charitable in how the people who might be in the off in the honor code office would work on these things, and I tend to attribute to mismanagement, ignorance, stupidity, and bigotry and bias things, which would otherwise require a very cunning mind. So my suspicion is that this is just a big old fumble. I don't know. Do you, do you look deeper than that?
2: No, my hunch is that it's a fumble as well, but either way, it accomplished the same thing. BYU now has access to all of the people who are sympathetic to this
3: issue. Yeah. So there's certainly uh, an effect regardless of the intention, that is now part of the picture. Okay, so, <clears throat> we encourage all members of our campus to reach out to those that are personally affected with sensitivity, love, and respect, oh. and then turn their ass in. Right, All right. right. Can members of our campus community who identify as LGBTQ or same-sex attracted be disciplined for going... All right. So I think we already covered that. All right. Does the university expect students to report fellow LGBTQ or same-sex attracted students to the Honor Code office for romantic behavior? Look right above the word expect. And you see... (laughs)
2: Make
3: make a a report. report.
2: (laughs) Uh, Hell yeah. Turn them in. (laughs) I mean, that's... And That's kind of the anything. point, isn't it? You don't have a link of make a report unless you want people turning other people in for things that violate the honor code. You right. need groupthink. You need allegiance. You need thought police.
3: No, so no, no. We, we created this policy for the people who were going to turn themselves in. You know? you know, the whole point of having this thing is so that other people can turn you in. Cause... I hope he has a
2: masculine child. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh, okay, so what does he say? He says one of the honor code principles states: encourage others in their commitment to comply with the honor code. <laughs> Encouragement is not synonymous with turn someone in. Mm,
2: I encourage you to go buy milk. I encourage you to uh, go to work today. I, you know, I, I don't know how. I don't know. All right, I guess. I guess woo
4: woo
3: <laughs> yeah well i mean well the the other the other thing is though you know courts of or what do what do they call the the disciplinary councils we used to call them the court of love like those weren't to reprimand people they were to encourage people to repent to invite you know, to yes invite to invite people, you to invite repent i mean it's, to repent. it's just weasel language it's ridiculous and that's the thing john you know
2: this when you look at all of the high demand fundamentalist institutions all throughout time they all use rhetoric of we invite with love we care have care and concern we we just want to help we want but but it's the penalties and consequences it's the mechanisms it's the shame and guilt behind all these mechanisms that tells you that you can soften it all up right like you can mm-hmm. ah
3: anyway Well, what they want to do is they want to create a myth of uh, free agency. They want to say, everybody's here voluntarily. There's no coercion. I mean, you can go and you can listen to all of the people who killed themselves in the Heaven's Gate suicide, and they all recorded a statement before they took that dire act. And the intention of this statement was to clarify, we're not brainwashed, we're here of our own free will. I mean, and that's because that's how these groups work is that they interfere and manipulate your free agency and they give you the illusion of free agency in a web of spiritual and physical coercion and threats. You are free to do whatever you want
2: within the limited, prescripted things you're allowed to do.
1: Yeah,
3: oh, and you could choose to disobey, but you will endanger your eternal soul and that of your family, and you'll make mom sad, and you'll be a disappointment to everyone, and you might And get your friend will make a report. report. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, we're not talking about, you know, you're going to report your friend for breaking into somebody's house, punching their baby, and stealing their big screen TV. You know, this is not... This is... You're reporting people for acting on... The, the impulses and desires of their heart that are not unethical, that reflect who they are as an individual. I mean, you, you go to any Mormon person and you tell me, tell me about your wife, tell me about your husband, any heterosexual mormon person what what is it that draws you to them and you're going to get a story about emotional connections shared experiences and a spiritual bond well you're going to get the same message when you talk to any gay person about the object of their affection and so that that's the thing that we're penalizing
2: yeah you're the same but it's different so it's not allowed
3: right you know that's not that's not true uh truth, and you can't get real happiness. That's fake happiness. Yep. All right, so let's see what, what else we got here. Encourage is an action that means to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. We are all members of the BYU community, thousands of people coming together to develop faith, intellect, and character. And we should always reach out in love and support to those around us. So did he deny in this paragraph that they expect people to report violations of the honor code office. Uh
2: no and what, what do, do they still accept the reports? Like he could have easily said any reports made along these bases will be discarded and not taken seriously. They will not which be accepted.
3: Which is exactly what they said before. Yeah. That's exactly they were like we're not taking reports as a matter of fact if you end up being hateful and offensive to somebody yeah. who is living the new standards then you're going to be in Uh, investigated. Well, you know, there's a follow-up question. Well, what happens when somebody reports a student to the Honor Code office? And this is where he gets to do his little weasel language again. Now, what what do you think is going to happen, Bill, when somebody now reports a student to the Honor Code office?
2: There will be a a committee. That committee will be headed up by a member of the 70. Um, That committee will involve the BYU police and and uh, any access to any data that's needed, we will we will find you. We will collect evidence, and we will prosecute you within all channels accessible to the church.
3: And then, If uh, somebody happens to say, hey, wait a second, it's inappropriate for the BYU police to be coordinating with the honor code office because that doesn't make any sense, particularly for victims of rape, then we're going to use the full power of our influence in the judicial and court system to try to hide and suppress any of that connection because we know that it is illegal, unethical, and immoral.
2: We've already shown precedent to over-redact statements. (laughs) We've already shown precedent to use records uh, unethically.
3: Yep. All right, let's see here. I am going to, I I found what I was looking for, so I'm gonna download that and make that, that's 144. Okay, so what happens when somebody reports a student to the Honor Code office? Well, for a complete description of the Honor Code office investigation and review process, go to honorcode.byu.edu. You know what, I'm just gonna bring that up here because I wonder, you know, they're asking if it's an obligation for somebody to turn in that violation of the honor code if you know that somebody's cheating on a test are you obligated to turn them in because if you are then the question comes well what's different about this sin this violation of the honor code from any other violation of the honor code because now we're having like a two tier uh process of of the honor code so All right, let's see here. Um, Let's just, all right, let's keep going. Please remember the office does not investigate anonymous reports. So here is where they can say, oh, we don't investigate every report if it's anonymous. The reporting individual must agree to have their name be known, except where the reported behavior could impact the physical safety of members of our campus community. Hmm.
2: I think our tribe benefits too by the tattleteller having their name attached to things as well, because the church does one hell of a job of figuring out who its loyalists are. Um, and when it perceives loyalists, those those people tend to get promoted in this system. And so I think the church not only keeps records on those who do bad things, and it does keep records, by the way. I've had numerous friends um, who have said they've had been in communication with people directly in those offices where these records are kept. And there are files on each of us who who at one time or another were on the inside speaking out and probably now that we're on the outside um, I got to believe they keep records of those who show their loyalty as well. Um, I think those folks get promoted in this system.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
3: Does this, I mean, I'm just, I think the anonymous report thing, it's like, that's good. That way people can't call up and say, uh, I observed Kevin Ut violating the, um, honor code office. You know, there has to be some accountability right. there. Um, it's just that when you reported behavior could impact the physical safety of members of our campus community i mean to the extent that we know that there are lgbt people who become the victim of bullying by people who feel that it's self righteous to do that and that this entity exists out there you know people who are willing to go and beat up gay people then i don't know i it just feels like this caveat here is gonna somehow be a problem, but I don't know. Um, how does the Honor Code Office work with ecclesiastical leaders on this matter? Now, why, why do you think that question is being asked? What is the fear behind that question? Well, I, I think somewhere along the
2: way, people are trying to figure out why the flip-flop. And I think that the, over, the real question is, how is the Honor Code Office working with top leaders in the church? Um, to lay out why this got changed and why it got pulled back and why it got redefined. Um, I also think, too, they're wanting to—I think members of BYU, students of BYU who are members of the church are also wanting to know how these reports and things will get disseminated among their local clergy, the bishop and the state president.
3: Yeah, because of that requirement for an ecclesiastical endorsement. And if you get reported for same-sex romantic behavior— because it's tied into your standing in the religion itself because of these things called worthiness interviews, which are inherent to your ecclesiastical endorsement, then you know you could have devoted four and a half, three and a half years of your college life, somebody reports you, and you know, BYU could kick you out by dropping your ecclesiastical endorsement, and then you've got an unfinished degree with three and a half years, and you're not going to be able to get your transcript or it, it's going to throw all of that in risk. And that, that's an element of the control that's over a lot of these things.
2: That's, that's a crazy thing, by the way, John, that I can go to BYU for three and a half years, and then I can do something that um, that violates this unique morality that only Mormonism kind of says, like, oh, this is the way it is. And, and then I lose my college education. I go for three and a half years, and I can't take those credits with me. Like it forces students to be in hiding. It forces students to pretend. It teaches them that here in Mormonism, we pretend to fit in at the expense of our individuality, at the expense of being honest and authentic. And you get rewarded for being, um, for protecting and shielding your real self from others getting to know that.
1: Yeah.
3: That whole, I mean, anytime you have a system that has institutionalized secrecy, then that secrecy becomes a cover for dangerous behavior. It just totally distorts normal cycles of accountability that happen. You know There are abusive relationships that are both homosexual and heterosexual. If somebody is in one of those situations, it's gonna be harder for them to seek for help because they're going to have this aura of fear of losing their standing in the, or in the university. And we've already seen that happen with rape victims who are afraid to speak out and to try to turn in their assaulter their, uh, um, their perpetrator because they don't want to lose their ecclesiastical endorsement and the, and you know to the credit of the church after this hit the news they said okay we're never we're no longer going to do that, but that's the problem is I, that I, whole thing.
2: I felt fear and anxiety when I tried to speak up in a classroom in the church, um, sharing a different perspective on history or a doctrinal change that's occurred or explaining to people why what we're presenting isn't quite as accurate as what's really, what really happened. I can't imagine how an LGBT student feels right now at BYU. I can't imagine um, the, the fear that they're living with and the, the anxiety they're having.
1: Yeah. Okay.
3: So it says here that the, Honor Code Office does not work with the ecclesiastical leaders. So that's vague. What does that mean? It doesn't work with the ecclesiastical leaders. You can pass information to the ecclesiastical leaders, or you could have a system that is available for review by the ecclesiastical leaders that you don't necessarily actively work with them. It doesn't say that. Nor does it weigh in on endorsement decisions made by ecclesiastical leaders. It doesn't have to. The bishops have the power and authority to do that on them own. I mean, the bishop could just say, oh, looks like you've been uh, disciplined by the honor code office. Since the honor code reflects the principles of the gospel, we know that you're in violation of principles of the gospel. So, Brother uh, Stevenson, tell me what you did wrong. A-
0: yeah. And then
3: he makes a confession. It's like, well, you know, that type of behavior is inconsistent with the eternal marriage, and uh, we're going to have to remove your ecclesiastical endorsement. You know, it's just... There's a disconnect here. They can say and deny anything, but the, the where the rubber hits the road, the church could easily work around these words. Did
2: you see recently, just another little tangent of this, there was, a, there was a gay student at BYU who recently talked about his being dragged into the Honor Code office and how they imposed on him that in order to clear this up, they that he had to allow them access to his private Facebook account so that they could go through his... Um, his personal messages, his private messages throughout his Facebook account in conversation so as to determine whether he was privately uh, acting or saying or believing or doing anything that was in violation of the
3: honor code. Okay. Number one, I have not heard of that. Number two, if that is for true, we need a link to that because that is insane. I will see if I can find it. That is like a complete violation you know, people get up in arms when, I mean, there have been instances where when you apply for a job, the job's like, well, we need your password to your social media accounts. It's just such a violation of privacy. If any workplace were to do that to you, you'd be like, you know, I'm not willing to work in an environment like that. Because it doesn't matter it, what you're doing. You know, just the fact that an institution believes that that boundary of your own private life is no longer one which can exist is a problematic thing. You don't want to be in a relationship where that type of boundary is normalized to be violated. Yeah, it might take me a few minutes, but I'll try to find it. Okay, if anyone who's listening knows that link, then definitely... Yeah, uh, put it in the comments. Yeah. Okay, let's see here. I've been trying to see if I can find anything on um, how the... uh, the reporting expectation Uh, for academic stuff. There's absolutely a reporting expectation, but they separate academic honesty from moral violations. All right. So um, hmm. all universities have a code of conduct that outlines the expectations of behavior for its students. So, Hey, everybody else is doing it. We're doing it. You know, that it's just, it's weak. They're just saying, well, you know, every, other universities say you can't cheat, so we're going to say you can't hold hands in public. It's it, they're both policies. You're okay with this other university having a policy, so we can have a policy. BYU calls its code of conduct the honor code because... If you're gay and you express your affection for the object of your affection, you no longer have honor. All right. Anyway, all universities also have an office that is primarily responsible for addressing behaviors that violate its honor, its code of conduct, which is generally under the purview of the dean of students' office. At BYU, the honor code office has the responsibility to address behaviors that violate its code of conduct. Well, you know, at least they didn't pull any punches there. They were definitely saying that the buck stops there for uh, these types of investigations, I guess. Um, Let's see here. So let's take a look at how that works. Let's see here. Chrome tab. Um, Honor code investigations. Okay, let's see if we can make this a little bigger. Okay, investigation and determination of reported honor code violations. The university at its discretion may choose to investigate reported or suspected honor code violations. This investigation is separate from any civil criminal or ecclesiastical proceedings. Reports are generally investigated according to the guidelines outlined below. Any student may report, may refer, anyone may refer a student to the honor code office for reported violations of the honor code, whether the conduct occurred on or off campus. Hmm. So no place is safe. Uh, You know, anywhere you are, you have to be kind of looking out through the side of your eye to make sure no other BYU student is around you. The person submitting the report is asked to identify themselves and provide information regarding the alleged violation that will assist the university in its investigation. Um, It does not investigate generally, so that's not an absolute, generally does not investigate reports by given by anonymous people it reserves its right to proceed based on an anonymous report it will strive to keep the names of witnesses confidential the university may disclose witness names and other information supplies white when legally compelled to Um, interesting Part of the student's educational record. Hmm. Retaliation against an individual who's made a report or provided information in connection with an investigation is strictly prohibited. So This kind of speaks to that thing where, um, you know, it used to be just a few weeks ago, a few days ago, that retaliation to people who wanted to show public... Romantic behavior to the object of their affection was strictly prohibited. But now it's the other way around. And this is one of the things where, you know, right now, as we speak, there are protests going on on BYU's campus. And if the Desnat alt right fundamentalist people start um, retaliating against people who are protesting, it's just like a big jumble of what are, what is the university going to do? Yeah, you certainly want to protect when people
2: uh, try to shine a light on something that really is unhealthy. You certainly want to protect those who are shining the light. Um, But, but this, when you recognize like, oh, you're getting somebody kicked out of a school for holding the hand of someone. And then you're protecting that person. You're also setting up then a safe space for that side of folks to, again, marginalize trauma and treat in unhealthy ways the people they perceive as breaking the rules because of the institution has these unique rules that are set out as a big thing. They're important. They're, they're to be kept. They have to do with God's morality. And in reality, you just have a couple of guys holding hands.
3: Yeah. It's interesting because this next section talks about sexual violence or harassment. And the wider world sees if you're reporting somebody for simply holding hands with their partner to some university oversight board, that's a that's a, that could be perceived as a type of sexual harassment. Just like, you know, if we take it to the race realm, if you saw a black person on campus and it was a place that was whites only, and you report them, that's racist. And so it's kind of like the Church has its own definition of what sexual harassment is, and it doesn't include its policies and treatment of gay people. Anyway, all right, that just kind of goes into more of the details about how they're going to um, handle these things. I don't know that um, we need to go, because uh, you could spend all day on, on this. Um, that's crazy. Should we... Just before uh, you left there, There was just, and you don't have to go
2: back to it, but Mm -hmm. there was a little section there, the next section right in the middle of the screen was that you can end any of these investigations by simply voluntarily withdrawing. So you can on your own just step away um, from the university and all of these investigations will just end. Yeah. But you also lose your education.
3: Exactly, and there's this whole thing right now, there's a movement, there's a, a, a fund being set up. You can donate to this fund and you can help finance individuals who want to transfer away from BYU because they disagree with this policy. And that's great. Not everybody can afford that. You know, even even just considering the cost of the transfer, you also have the fact that BYU is really, really cheap compared to other universities. And so if you transfer out, not only is it gonna be the cost of moving or whatever, but then you have dramatic difference in the degree of tuition uh, that you're gonna end up paying. And so some people, really, that's like their best financial choice is to be at BYU. Their families have subsidized that education by paying tithing their entire life, and so it's kind of a return on the investment of membership in the church. So I just I don't see that as a good solution. Maybe it'll send a message to the administration, but they don't care. They don't care. Fine, you want to transfer out? That's fine. We got a line of people wanting to come in, and they're willing to sign on the line that they will follow the honor code, even knowing everything that's happened because people are in financial hardship and it's a great investment financially, even if it does mean that you have the embarrassment of Brigham Young's name on your diploma for the rest of your life.
2: What do you think happens here? If you were to speculate, like this has caused an uproar, the church is obviously frustrated. It's losing its younger generation of members. Um, It seems apparent that the church is trying to plug some of this bleeding and here they've caused some deep turmoil that I think only ends with more people leaving um, that, you know, becoming disenfranchised with the church. What, what's your speculation on what kind of comes out from this? Do you think they, that this pushes them some certain direction over this whole thing that's happened over the last two weeks?
3: I, I don't know. You know, there was such a fallout over the November 2015 policy. I was surprised when they came out and reversed it, because you have to say, how can you reverse this without totally demonstrating that you were completely unconnected with God? They you just say it. that
2: both were revelation, and they yeah. were both were
3: compassionate? Yeah.
2: They both were built I mean, out of
3: love? And the church could do this. It could say there was a lot of confusion um, in how this policy was administered, and it, it, it would, if it was going to do it, it would have to say we were wrong. I mean, because it's so close. And if, if the protests continue, as they might, because the mindset of the students is there. And this is not just like a minority of students. When you saw how widespread the celebration was, that's going to be how widespread the protests were
2: or are. Yeah. Imagine in 1978, the church for one week said, we're going to give priesthood to those of color and everybody else. And then mm-hmm. a week later said, oh, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Misunderstanding. You yes. didn't mean to say that.
3: Um, I don't know a great that the example. protest would stop. <laughs> yep, that's very true. All right, so take a look at this. Let's see if I can bring this over here. All right, so this is from the Church Handbook of Instructions from 1940. So, you know, there was a leak that happened a few... We talked about it before uh, a few years ago where all the Church Handbooks of Instruction... Well, one of the things that we got a glimpse into is what it used to be like in the Mormon Church. So in this Church Handbook of Instructions, it's in the bishop's office, you know, nobody else has access to it until they need it, you've got this, uh, the complaint. So this is, you know, what to do for transgressions reported to the bishopric. Accusation by one member against another or by ward teachers against any member is to be made in writing and must contain all essentials of the charge so that the accused may be definitely informed as to what allegations he is to answer. Did you get informed of what allegations you were to answer when you were brought in for your disciplinary hearing? It doesn't always happen that way. Uh,
2: hold on. It, uh, I'll, I'll say this. Um, it's bland. Um, you know, I've, been, I've been told by the brethren that they think you're an apostasy. Um, and, and no nobody could really point to specifically what I was saying or doing until it got to the point where I called Elder Holland a liar and showed the five occasions that he did. He's, done it more than that, but those were the five I used.
3: Yeah. Okay, well, all right, so it may be that the accuser is not conversant with the usual type of complaint. Some people may not be familiar with writing each other out, and he may present his accusations in the form of a letter, and such a letter may be accepted by the bishopric as the complaint in the case, provided it definitely sets forth the charges. A convenient form of complaint follows. So they're giving you an example, a form letter, that you can use to turn in your fellow Mormons about violating these things. To the bishopric of such and such ward in such and such stake of Zion, dear brethren, I or we, full names of accusers, hereby make to you a charge of evil or unjust or wicked or unchristian-like conduct against full name of the accused and in support thereof allege as follows. There, you know, he was drinking tea, uh... Their four-year-old child came out with a tank top on. Uh, Sister so-and-so let her ankles show. You know, whatever. I or we respectfully suggest that the above name accused be called to answer this complaint before yourself as the bishop of the ward. So they, they used to codify how you could turn in your fellow ward members. This was part of Mormon culture. This is not BYU campus. This is like when you were a Mormon, you knew that people were gonna turn you in. And guess who the big turner inners would have been? The people who regularly come to your house and be like, oh, we're here to share a message. Let's sit in your living room and you can look around and you know see what type of behavior. And you know maybe there's a good societal function if they pick up on signs of abuse, but that wasn't happening.
2: I'll tell you too, this just a little observation. John DeLynn recently released uh, his conversations with his bishops and state presidents uh, during the process of him being investigated. I'm a smart guy, you're a smart guy. When I listen to these conversations, I can tell, and there's no if answer or bots, I'm not gonna uh, like say like, oh, I'm just making an allegation. Um, I can tell. there's no doubt that that bishop has somebody higher up who's saying, we want you to go sit down. We want you to investigate. Here's what's going on. Would you find out more? You can tell from the way he answers that he that these these leaders are playing middlemen um, yeah. and they're having to be really careful as they navigate trying to help this person out, but also carry back information to the general authority who's who's in communication
3: with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know it's not like you're making that up out of thin air we've we've got. Leaders on the record saying that, you know, Boy Packer was involved in certain excommunications of the September 6th and things like that. So, okay, so let's see here. Um, let's go ahead and put our banner up. If anyone wants to call, then we're happy to have your input, any comments that you have about this subject. Let me see what I can find in terms of. Um, Okay, where are we going here? <clears throat> Other than this particular um, event, was there anything else worth commenting on this week in the world of Mormonism or ex-Mormonism?
2: Uh, I think this is the, the big thing. Um, man, I'm trying to think offhand. There was Elder Ballard's
3: talk, which... Weird. This
2: goes along with this,
3: yeah, it, it, and it's it's one of those things where you're like, what are you talking about? And it really reinforces the notion that the church has this perverse sense of what it means to love and support one another, because you know the talk was given on March third, 2020, specifically to BYU students, and it specifically talked about the events that were going on on campus, and you have um, Ballard making statements that you shouldn't be treating people differently and that you should support it, but then it's all couched in this other language. All right, we got a call. Let's see what what I can do here. All right, I have to. Hello, you're on Talk on Things and Stuff. Give me just a second. I have to be able to do this without revealing things. Hold on, let's see here. I think I can do it. All right, share screen, Chrome tab. Hey there, you, you are, let me see what I can do here. All right, good. <clears throat> You're on Talk on Things and Stuff. I can
4: hear you okay? Great. Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, my name is Scott.
3: Hi, Scott, um, thanks for calling. I
4: made a comment earlier. I don't know if you uh, read it. I had to leave for a while and then came back. I, um, what I wanted to talk about was the, uh, the line in that letter that the, the commissioner from CES sent. Uh, the line that talks about um, how it's a violation of the honor code to have romantic behavior if mm. it does not lead to an eternal marriage. Ah, and uh, I'm not buying that. That is an actual reason. Uh, just looking at other examples through history and like uh, current situations. Um, for example, you can have a uh, a widow. Who is uh, sealed to her late husband? Um, she cannot obtain an eternal marriage to a suitor, um, so she would not be allowed to date at BYU because that relationship cannot lead to an eternal marriage. Um,
3: That's a also, fascinating point. Absolutely.
4: You know, if we're if we're using that line of reasoning, that that uh, relationship was would be disallowed also if you think back to pre-1978 uh, if you had two african american students a man and a woman would they have been allowed to date of course they would have yeah but that would not have been able to uh, lead to an eternal marriage um you know what it kind of reminds me of is uh sometimes like with critics of gay marriage they'll, they'll give you the reason well uh that that Union cannot produce offspring, so that that's why I'm against it. Yeah. And then you push back on that, and you say, "Well, what about the elderly or people that are sterile?" And it becomes pretty obvious that's not their real reason that they object to it. They just don't want to uh, sound super homophobic, <laughs> which it already does. But yeah. um, so so I'm not buying that that's that has anything to do with the real reason. The inability to get a an eternal marriage has never been a standard for. Uh, you know, romantic relationship being off limits.
1: Yeah,
4: two uh, to, to, to non member students at you also can't get a eternal marriage. You know, but yeah, they can date. So yep, that's that that's, was just a comment. That's a brilliant I point as well.
3: And, and yeah. you know, why wouldn't the church just say it's a violation of what we perceive the law of the laws of chastity and morality are? I mean, it's this whole spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The um, when you go to the temple, they define for you what the law of chastity is, you know, very specifically, very legalistically. And, and Because they say the law of chastity, which is that no man or woman shall have sex outside of the bounds of matrimony in a legal and lawful wedding or, or whatever the language is. And yet, we, we include all these other things under the law of chastity, including uh, masturbation, pornography. They'll say those are violations of law of chastity, even though it doesn't involve other people. And so then, the problem now is that once the law of the land recognizes gay marriage, so people can be married, because it just used to say, I think it just used to say uh, no sexual relations apart from your spouse, and now they had to change it to make sure they specifically said man and woman. Um, It's just, it's when you get stuck in a legalistic uh, religion that defines things very specifically and strictly and holds you to them, that's what they've got to do. But now you've got this catch-all of the spirit of the law. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for your for your comment. I appreciate it. I'm going to see if I can get Bill's uh, feedback from it. He, you won't be able to hear him because I haven't figured that part out yet, but uh, we'll take your comment oh, okay. off okay. there for that. Okay. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Did you hear him, Bill? You're muted. Let me unmute you. Uh, you have to mute. You have to Got unmute. It. I, uh,
2: yeah, I, I heard his side of the call. Uh, personally, my, my thoughts are that Mormonism always says things that aren't logically tenable, but that doesn't stop millions of people from continued belief, both because they're isolated from the argument or they have their own mental gymnastics for making that work. So you're right. Like the caller is right. He points out three or four really solid exceptions for why this logic is faulty. And yet, you know, fair Mormon keeps moving along.
3: Yeah, exactly. We had somebody who put in a question. Let's see here. Um, so Tyler Slack asks, "Do we have follow-up video from the BYU professor who excitedly informed his class about the handbook and what the Honor Code Office meant about relationships?" I gather he is upset, and the answer of that is to that is yes. Let me see if I can pull it up here. If we go to this and go to that, so he's talking about Jim Brow, who was the economics professor at the uh, Merritt School of Business. And he sent a note to his students, principles of finance, no more YouTube, come to class. Dear class, I hope everyone is well. After one of our class videos went viral, my family and I have been receiving threats from alt-right online groups and other online posts. As a result, I'm no longer comfortable posting class lectures online. All of you are invited to attend either 8 a.m. or 2 p.m. lecture, whichever works for you. No business prerequisite class that I'm aware of does YouTube, so now we'll be consistent with all of them. Thanks for your care and understanding, Brother B. Do you think that's the only correspondence he had? (sighs) No, I'm pretty sure that there were administrators in the school who uh, called him to the table for um, injecting his own opinion in what the Brethren did or what the policies were. And the conversation probably went like, you just made it a lot tougher for us. Because now if we change it, we've got to somehow square it with this. You just, it, they could have said, you know what? Just don't talk about the honor code office on YouTube. Just stick to your course. You know, 99% of his YouTube videos were just economics. But, um yeah. No, he just took it all offline, you know. And I'm sure that's better for the brethren because now they don't have to worry about some loose cannon um, doing stuff that's going to embarrass them.
2: Yeah, those darn loose cannons, they get in the way. Um, That's ever since 1830. Actually, a little earlier, but... Yeah,
3: (laughs) exactly. All right, so let's see here. So again, if you would like to join the conversation, you can call 210-422-2222. Now, I took some time and I listened to... Elder Ballard's talk, and I thought we might go over some clips of it today, but I think we had enough conversation about that, it took up enough time, we're not going to be able to do that, but I think there's some things that he does in that conversation which are really important to kind of dissect and look at what's really happening here, and it has to do with how the Church has realized that this whole thing that people are doing now to a greater effect and with more emphasis about determining their own identity is something which can be a threat to the Church's hold over the hearts and minds of people. Because if somebody is able to define themselves and give authority and autonomy to themselves outside of the paradigm that the Church gives, then it puts them in a position where they're able to see themselves apart from the Church as being complete in a way that the Church has not had to deal with in the past. Mm. And the fact that this enters into facets of gender expression, of romantic expression, and desire is just the tip of the iceberg because there's all sorts of things having to do with identity, which are tied into the psychological hooks that we have. If you talk to any Scientologist and you say, Give me, you know, a believing Scientologist, give me a sense of your purpose here on life, uh, where you are, they're going to start. Conceptually, if they are familiar enough with the real roots of their doctrine, with the notion that they exist as a being on this planet plagued by Thetans, which are the deceased spirits of these people from Xenu in the past, that creation story, that origin story frames in their mind who they are, their position on the earth, and how they are to move from their current damaged state to some elevated future state. And the the key to getting to that elevated future state is tied into everything that the Church of Scientology demands of them. And so the Church, is it's prime importance for them to have members identify with and accept that origin story and identify themselves as people existing in that origin story because it's tied into the remedy for their freedom, the total bridge to freedom or whatever they call it. In Mormonism, there's an exact parallel, and that is that they want you to frame your existence and your mind and your life as being a result of the fall of Adam that can only be prescribed with how the brethren say that you can rise from that fall, that you can get salvation from that fall, because it ties you into dependence spiritually on what the brethren say. And so they really want to hammer home and you'll hear him say again and again and again you are son and daughter of God and your purpose here is to get that eternal salvation God loves you we love you. And at one point he like talks about how you know your existence needs to be defined by your faith and devotion to the church and then or to the to Christ and then he th- follows that up with with the church. And so it's very much that the, the church is what is your key to freedom and that I think we're going to start to see, you know, you can always tell when the church kind of figures out something that really works. The the covenant path really works, so we're going to hammer that. You're going to hear it in every talk. And the, um, uh, what was the other one? The, oh yeah, the ongoing restoration, you know, that really works, so we're going to hear more of it, and I just feel like we we saw a hint of it in the talk that President Nelson gave shortly after he became the prophet, he said, I want to talk to all the youth. And he gave he gave a talk, and it was about the millennials, and it was all about what you identify as, what your real identity is, because this notion that you have a real, true identity allows the Church to define for you your place in the world and your potential and your choices. And whether or not you're good with yourself is going to be determined by whether or not you're within the bounds that the Church has sent. And that's just dripping and saturated through that talk. So I am going to see if I can get maybe Luna Lindsay to uh, sit down with me and maybe do a line-by-line dissection of that talk, um, just the same way we've done in the past with looking at undue influence themes in general conference, because it's a, it's a pretty manipulative talk. And Ballard is just so... Old timey and homey. It's so, I just feel like I'm listening to my kindly grandpa, listening to him. He's got this great, very easygoing sense of humor. And it's just so easy to just get sucked in and drawn into what he says.
2: Yeah, I've, I've got to run, but just my closing thought there would be when you frame it, because I thought the other big one is the one you pointed to the ongoing restoration, it gives cover to members. To go like, oh, yeah, we make mistakes and we mess some things up and leaders are fallible because the restoration's ongoing and God's working with us slowly and he finally gets us to make changes. And that's an easy response to the surface level discussion. But the moment you get into the nitty gritty, you have to deal with the real limitations of these 15 men who claim to have access to God. Um, And the ongoing restoration really doesn't solve uh, doesn't solve the problem.
1: No,
3: But, it, you know, if people are willing to uncritically accept them for what they say, then they'll just go along with it. All right. Well, we don't have any other calls. And I know it's getting close to the time where you got to start being uh, your put your other hat on. So um, I got to change
2: back into Clark Kent. Yeah.
3: <laughs> All right, Bill. It's been great. Um, always enjoy discussing these things with you. And until next time, um, let's see. Hold on a second. I started this with the wrong brand. Look at that. I'm going to have to figure out what I'm doing at some point. This is Coffee Talk.